Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ken Tobias has what may be some of the most extreme stories a musician could have about touring the vast landscape of Canada. There's something inherently unique about working as a touring musician in Canada. And in this conversation between Adrian Glynn and Ken Tobias, these stories literally reach near-death experiences. Ken is a singer and songwriter originally from New Brunswick. He first rose to prominence as a cast member of the CBC show Music Hop and Sing Along Jubilee, where he regularly performed duets with Anne Murray that you can still find online. After connecting with Phil Medley of the Righteous Brothers, Ken moved to L.A. to work as a songwriter. His original song, Stay A While, was recorded by The Bells and went on to sell over 2 million copies worldwide. For Push Button Radio, Adrian Glynn's band, The Fugitives, took on I Just Want To Make Music as originally written and recorded by Ken in 1973. The song reached top 10 in Canada, and eventually Ken was given the SoCan Classics Award for over 100,000 airplays on the song. The Fugitives are a phenomenal group who tour folk festivals and clubs worldwide. They bring a liveliness to the recording that Ken acknowledges as having really maintained the spirit of the song. The conversation got off to a bit of a slow start, but stick with it as when things warm up, we get into some fantastic tales about touring and working with some of the finest musicians from the 70s, including Larry Carlton and the legendary guitarist Lenny Bro. I hope you enjoy Adrian Glenn and Ken Tobias on the Push Button Radio Podcast. As you can see, I got a, I'm in my studio, my recording studio, but behind me, I got millions of paintings. I'm, I'm getting ready for an art show. Okay. And they're, just, they're just piled everywhere. Can you hear me, Adrian? Yeah, I can hear you. Great. Hey, Ken. Oh, there you go. I can hear you now, too. <laughs> nice to meet you. 
Nice to meet you as well, man. That looks right. like a Beetle base behind you there. Yeah, well, a knockoff, yeah. <laughs> so is that a, hor- a Horner or no, it's not a Horner. It's a Epiphone? No, yeah, the Epiphone knockoff of the Horner, yeah. Still but they good. sound really nice. Yeah, it's still good bass. Yeah, yeah, we just got it uh, a couple months ago, I think. You got all kinds of stuff back here. You my place, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I got all my guitars on here, but I it's my studio, but I'm doing, as I was telling uh, Joseph, that I, I'm doing an art show coming up. So I've been, they're, just, they're piled everything everywhere because what I've been doing is um, putting the hangers on the back, drilling, you know, getting the wires on and uh, making sure they're all coded properly and, and, and pencils signed in the back and so on. It's taken days to do because I got like 40 pieces at least. Wow. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I was looking at some of your paintings online. They're amazing, man. Thank some you very of, um, much. Appreciate it. Got some Dutch master influence in some of the still lifes there, it looks like. You know something? I, you, you're very intuitive because I uh, I really like Rembrandt, you know. Uh, yeah. I've studied from other artists, but I've been painting for about 45 years, but I, it's basically from the seat of my pants and making mistakes and learning. And uh, I just think I'm an old soul. I think I'm really uh, from that those eras, you know. I mean, uh, I, I seem to like that a lot, quite a bit, you know, as opposed to uh, I'm not a Picasso fan, so to speak, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that Rembrandt is actually the first thing I thought when I saw like the the uh, there was a painting of a jug and then another one of um, I think there was maybe like a like a still life of a bottle and a half glass of orange juice or something like that and it was like the yeah, light yeah. was very Rembrandty. It was cool. Yeah, still I I, I like still life. Uh, I like doing those, but I I do a lot of space art. I don't know if you can see one behind me in the bike in the back. Oh there. yeah, 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 yeah. I do a lot of space art and and uh, believe it or not. Uh, that's sort of my spiritual stuff, and and uh, but I sell a lot of space art, and and to people you wouldn't expect, like school teachers and you know little old ladies, and you just don't expect what they go. Oh, I really like that stuff, you know. So it's peaceful, yeah. I guess. You know, that's really cool. Um, sorry, Joseph, we jumped right into talking. Where is that? Uh... No, man, that's that's great. That's the whole point. <laughs> I say to Ken, I kind of jump on these things and interject if needed, but. Uh, for the most part, I just sit back and and enjoy. Are you an, you're a musician too, Joseph? I, I am. Yeah, yeah. I actually, see guitars on your wall in the back there. The one the one behind me is made by a guy in Vancouver um, named Chris Basaraba. That's the electric one. Yeah, the electric one. He's got a little shop called Bass One Guitars. Do a little plug for Bass One Guitars right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I see you got a guild next to that though. Guild, yeah. Guild's a rock. <laughs> that thing's a workhorse. I've I've carted it through the Chilcotin Mountains on the back of a horse, and it's been all over the place. <laughs> I have a Guild 1966 Slim Jim uh, uh, T100. That is, you know, um, when I'm actually playing, I don't perform now, but when I was performing, uh, that was my mainstay. I, I play electrics as well, but that one was. Uh, it just, it's just so wonderful when you put that through. Uh, I have a, a jazz chorus 90. And I put a, just a little a hair of chorus on, just a hair. And when you play with it and finger pick it, it just has this beautiful acoustical sound. It's got, you know, it's electrified, but it's still very acoustical. And for my finger pit and stuff, it was, it's just perfect. I love that guilt. I love it. Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> are you still, are you still writing even if you're not performing? Oh yeah. I, 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 uh, I just stopped performing because I have a couple of, of um, I have COPD and asthma. And uh, <clears throat> I had a surfing accident in California years ago, and um, it's come back to haunt me. I uh, crushed vertebrae, pinched nerve, 
either side in a pinched nerve because when I'm uh, playing, I get it here and it comes very badly sometimes. So where I, the day's gone, you know, it goes up into my eye on the right side and this side, it pinches, it pinches sometimes like it's pretty bad. I mean, I, I've learned to be able to, that's why I paint a lot. I, I've learned to paint through the pain mm. and, uh, and it takes me away. I mean, more than I can't play music used to take me away as much, but painting now takes me away more. I'm kind of on that cup lip trying to get that right. And I'm right there and it's like an hour or two goes by and I kind of, I kind of have some peace, a little bit more peace when the pain, but it's not all the time, but it's, it's there now at my age is starting to come back and there's not nothing we can do about it. I have a, that problem, but the COPD and asthma is what I'm more worried about because I can actually still sing and play. I'm not a bad player. And, uh, it's, I'm afraid that all of a sudden I'll seize up or, or I'll cough in the middle of a song because I sure. my breath control has changed. Mm. Um, at one time, um, with, with, humbly I say that I used to be called a singer-singer where I could actually sing pretty much anything and I had a lot of octaves. And, um, but I can't do that anymore because I can't get the breath to hold the note. Mm. And so I've had to learn to to use kind of like, you know, jury rigging <laughs> in mm. such a way to be able to, to get them happening. So anyway, when I write now, and I've got about 25 songs in the, in the can, um, I have nobody to tell me what to do anymore. I don't, it's not, I'm not trying to write hits or would like the record companies always wanted you to do that. You know, they mean well, they want to get successful, they want to sell. But uh I remember one album I had four hits on it for good. And I got it BMI awards from the good radio hits, et cetera. And I had a piece on there called save the forest, which was an ecology suite. And, mm -hmm. uh, and the record company said, why'd you put that on there? I said, listen, guys, I said, I believe in stuff. I'm an artist. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is what I do. And funny, funny thing, uh, audience used to come and because I had really, really tough bands, really, really good, well, well groomed bands they used to like to come to see those kinds of songs because they were like kind of fusiony and whatever. They were like well played, et cetera. And so they used to like to hear those and come to see me for those just as well as they did for a hit or something, you know what I mean? So that's the truth. Yeah. Do you play, um, does, does playing keyboard make a difference versus like guitar? Funnily enough, I actually have developed really bad neck stuff in the last couple of years with playing guitar, which is, so it's interesting to hear you talk about this because like I'm trying to figure out ways around that and, and stuff. But, um, but, uh, but I see the keyboard there. So I wonder if that's, it must be a bit of a different physical well, position. Is it easier? I use it mostly as a trigger. Okay. Uh, yeah, like but I mean, I do. I mean, obviously, if I have to play piano, I'm a, I play at it. I don't really play it. Right, and right. I, I'll work it out. I'll work out the parts and I'll, I'll do it and then I'll record it. And if I make a mistake, I'll go in and, and, and move the notes around and, and fix it. But uh, basically, I never have any trouble that way. I never thought of it. You know, I, I actually should have put some time into playing keyboard as a musician, as you probably know. You know, you just have to uh, pick up another instrument and do it. Yeah, I, I knew a guy in Toronto at Reaction Studios, which at the time was the is, was the number one studio in Toronto. There was a guy there. His name is Roby Banerjee. He's now in L.A. and he's worked with the Stones and all these kinds of people. He's just a, a beautiful fellow. But he was the kind of guy that could pick up anything. He'd pick up a stick and make music with it. And a guy came in one of those. I said stick because it had had a Chapman stick. If you know what I mean. No, They're kind know. of like a, it's a whole thing to play those. And a guy brought one in who could really play. And I remember him 
going over and picking it up, going, what's this doing? He started to do stuff. Meanwhile, he was starting to play it better than the other guy. He oh just started God. to bang it and tap on it and pluck it and so on. Well, that's the kind of guy, he's a musician, so he can, yeah. what, is this? what does this do? Oh, blow it? Okay, you move these holes? Okay, and he made music with it. I kind of can do that to a point. So I just, I don't know why I never put more time into it. I guess it's because, you know, you write, you play, and you produce. And yeah, exactly. I'm kind of the same. Like, I, I'm more more focused on songwriting than I am being good at an instrument. So, I'm you know, I can passably get by on a bunch of different instruments enough to write a song or whatever, play you got a really a nice voice. record, but yeah. You got a really nice voice. You, you, oh, you were the guy in, in that picture of the of a World War II thing. You were you were the guy that you could see the image in the in the in, in the mirror. You were leaning against the wall, yeah. leaning against the thing. Yeah, yeah. And I heard you kind of closed off the song. Yeah, that yeah. You got a really nice voice, man. All you guys could. That was a beautiful. Gee, I thought it was beautiful. The oh, harmonies nice. were great, and the lady sitting down, and and uh, I don't know who you all are, but uh, it, it was. It was very, very good. I mean, that just was beautiful. I, I was, you know, I felt a heartfelt part of it, you know. Thanks so much, man. That means a lot. Well, harmonies, you know, when you got it, you know, when you got it and it comes out of the heart, uh, other people get it, you know, I got it. Yeah, that's, I mean, I grew up singing in choirs and stuff. Um, and so, uh, and, and do you remember the Nylons? They're like an acapella. Group. I know that. I knew the guys, yeah. They were in Toronto. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, I remember seeing those guys when I was about, 10 and uh and that was my they were my favorite music for like two years uh and so i would i just learned harmony just from being in the choirs and also just singing along with those guys and trying to sing all the different parts and so now um yeah the fugitives i i tend to write all the harmonies and stuff and yeah and uh some of them kind of get mad at me because i'll make <laughs> make them pretty complex make them play those parts that they <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. well you know yeah. there was i used to listen to groups like the swiggle singers and I started on sing along. Well, not didn't start on there, but I started in a group called uh, a kind of a folk blueback bluegrass kind of group uh, banjo player. I played tenor guitar. Another guy played guitar, oh, cool. and we were called the Ramblers. And we we did we became professionals. And but we had a three part harmony thing sometimes four parts, but um, uh, not everybody in the group was a, a really good singer. They could they could make it work, but uh, when I got on to sing along Jubilee. Uh, everybody in there obviously was was a good singer, and uh, so Anne Marie was part of that. She had a, a lower voice, and uh, myself, I was a tenor, and there were several others who were really, really, really good, strong vocalists. So we used to have all kinds of great parts, and and uh, and do that kind of that kind of stuff. It was and and then it's just like you, and 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 uh, I was a choir boy, you know, saying, remember singing "Oh Holy Night." You know, and then having all that beautiful sound around you, it's just gorgeous. I love that stuff. I like writing harmonies too, because in my music, especially a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, I've got uh, a lot of fairly tight harmonies, and I, I kind of do them all myself. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Harmony is just like, it's just like the most human, uh, the most human kind of evocation of music. I feel like it's just no instruments, human voice. And like together sounding beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. Well, next to the drum, it's the voice, you know, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, and uh, when I hear, when I hear those uh, uh, Inuit sing, do the voice thing that they do and they blow back and forth to each other and they're making those sounds. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, somebody taught me once to do this, uh, to make um, 
like a phasing sound with the voice by going uh, E-O-E-A. And, yeah. and by doing it, all of a sudden, when you get to a middle part, all of a sudden you hear this this whistle go. Yeah, the harmonic. Yeah, yeah. It goes right up and down the middle of it. It was like, oh, but you got to have a lot of breath. And I, I'm sorry, I lost a little bit of that, so I can't do it anymore. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you ever see a movie from probably the 90s called Genghis Blues? It's a documentary. I don't know why it rings a bell, but I, I can't remember it. <clears throat> it got pretty well known. It might have even been nominated for an Oscar or something. But it was an amazing story about um, a blues singer named Paul Pina. Uh, he's the guy that wrote um, Big Old Jet Airliner that Steve oh, yeah. covered. Big Old Jet Airliner. Yeah, yeah. Right on on. Yeah, so Paul Pina wrote wrote that song, and that was kind of his like claim to fame. But then he really fell into obscurity, and he was like borderline homeless I think living in Seattle or something but uh but he was blind um and he would listen to a ham radio and so he could pick up uh stations from all over the world and he one time hit on this music which was what we, kind of what you're describing it was Tuvan throat singing tuba is near Mongolia and so those those crazy whistles and harmonics and he was like what is this um so he like I don't know long story short he he found out what it was Tuvan throat singing, and he found out there was a festival um, that uh, every year that did throat singing, and he was teaching himself to throat sing just by just by oh. ear. Um, and he wanted to go to this festival, and so he, uh, but he wanted to learn some of the language. So to learn the language, there's no there's no Braille dictionary of Tuvan to English. So he had to he learned Russian by Braille, and then he learned Russian to Tuvan by Braille. Meanwhile, teaching himself to throat sing. And so the movie like follows him going to this festival. It's just incredible, and yeah, the music is just the loneliest sound. It's so cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you know Bobby McFarland too, the guy that beats on his breast and does all that singing. Yeah, he's yeah. another amazing singer because he makes sounds with his mouth as well. You know, here some hip hoppers doing, you know, that you know the uh, eight hundred eight drum machine style sounds with their mouth. Yeah. I think there was a girl just recently I saw. She won the contest, world contest, where she could she could do pretty much anything with uh, with with the drum sounds of eight hundred eight on her uh, in her mouth. Yeah. Pretty good doing doing uh, the snare and the hi hat and the uh, and the kick drum all at the same time. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. cool. You know, to figure it out, you know, kind of thing. Because I I used to like to do impressions. You know, uh, on the road, you know, everybody's crazy on the road. Yeah, (laughs) you know, everybody's trying to do something. I used to like to do impressions and have conversations between people like John Wayne and uh, Walter Brennan and and all these kinds (laughs) of people. You know, like that and make them make you know them say things that. Sometimes it was lewd, but you know, whatever. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Did you tour quite a lot? Um, it, it, with bands, I toured. I made three major tours in Canada. Yeah, and um, if the first one was like, didn't know anything, didn't have a clue. We were the ones opening the road uh, at the time, and uh, we would play because. We were now artists and they were used to just people, bands playing, but we were artists. So we had to have a rider and we had to have certain things. And we'd go, go into these taverns that were just, that just had a stage in the corner and you got like lights and sound and stuff. And you'd walk in and your, and your light man goes, oh my God, I'm going to die. I plug into that, you know, and, and we'd be playing, <laughs> playing on stage and moving up the stage. And all of a sudden the plugs would come out of the walls, <laughs> you know, um, but um we didn't know things like uh, that when you're passing through White River, 
up in Ontario in the north on the, mm-hmm. on the Precambrian that you should have husky cards because it's the coldest place in North America, 60 below. And we and we didn't know that you don't tour in the wintertime through that place. Oh, and we did. God. And we we're running out of gas. And everybody's like in the in the van. Everybody's sleeping in the van and everything. We got half the van cut for the, our equipment. Yeah. And uh, everybody's leaning forward like at 4 o'clock in the morning going, where's the gas station? I don't know. We just passed the gas. But I didn't have a husky card. And um, it didn't know that you had. We had all the other cards and stuff like this. And we finally... You know, going through that and and, and uh, almost dying a few times, I, I I almost froze to death once with Charlie Clark up in uh, Bay Como, just wow. out of Bay Como, forty below zero. Yeah, we were dying actually, and the, the guy saved us. Wow! Like you and, had to uh, run out of gas? Is that what happened? Well, we had a flat tire. We were in Bay Como, which is like five hundred miles south of the Arctic Circle. Wow! And uh, they had this big power power dam they were building, and so we were getting extra money for playing the gig and uh but they had everything like swimming pools or everything was under glass because you couldn't go outside at times because the air your breath would freeze so if you didn't want to go out because if you inhaled it it could cut your lungs right so so anyway that's the kind of place it was and uh we heard that there was we were there for two weeks they fed us like crazy i came out of there actually i'm a thin guy i came out fat it was amazing (laughs) anything you want to eat but we wanted to get out of there because the snowstorm was coming so we jumped in our cars and we drove like like crazy and we we hit the storm and boys it was pretty rough you see car trails off into the woods going where's that guy and um we finally got out of the snow and it was down it was 40 below and and i got a flat tire and we pulled into this um pulled into this abandoned gas station that had a little laneway that went in there and kind of the trees were over it a little bit we pulled it just to get out of the cold wind and it took us Geez, almost an hour, just all of us trying to get the lug nuts off the car. And uh, it was so cold. <clears throat> I mean, steel could break if you had power, you know, you could break it. And uh, finally, after we got the done, the other car, the other guys took off without waiting for us to get going. So I, my car had been running. So as soon as I put it in gear, it stalled. And immediately, because they had a carburetor, the, any moisture just froze. Right. And we couldn't get it going and never gone. So... Charlie Clark, who eventually became part of the Bells, which had that big hit, Stay a While. Yeah. Uh, and he's from my hometown. And he and I are both, you know, we're, we're from a small town. So we, you know, we're not, we don't panic. We can make a fire as we can take care of ourselves to a point. But it was so cold. It was coming in so fast. All the heat was gone in the car. And, and we, as we were trying to make decisions, we couldn't quite eventually start making decisions. We just go, well, what should we do? I don't know, man. You know, couldn't starting to get cold the brain was starting to get cold yeah oh. eventually we were leaning on the on the on the desk kind of half sleeping and going well we shouldn't go to sleep charlie i know and you know and finally uh you're almost gone and i heard this whistling musicians ears i eh? i heard this whistling and past that past that front of the driveway was this this guy went walking by with a double bitted axe he was a habitant kind of guy and he had a big toque on and, and a big, big boots, you know, tied up to his knees and he was whistling going by. And I just kind of leaned forward on the horn. There was hardly any, anything left. And went <laughs> the horn went sort of like this and he went by. And then all of a sudden he came back and he looked down the drainway and saw us. And I was like looking at him with eyes of like, please, I'm dying, you know? And he went, 
I heard him go, mon dieu, and he come running down the track and he looked at us and he opened the door and grabbed me and hauled me out and I thought I was going to crack in two. And he banged me against the car and he did the same thing to Charlie. And he was speaking in French, mon dieu, what's something, what's wrong? I mean, you guys, what are you doing here? And he had to put it, we had to put our arms around him and he took us down, not more than 50 50 yards down the road was his mother's house. He lived with his mother and he had a, they had two roaring wood fires going. And as soon as we walked in the door, I thought I was going to die from the pain. They oh. hit that heat. We collapsed on the floor and we stayed there. And they, and his mother said to him in French, I know she said, leave them alone. They got to go through this. And so we, you know, we were like, I, could see, I, I mean, I was weeping from the, the pain. And finally they let us stay overnight, took care of us. And, um, the next day we called a, called a tow truck, but they came up, but the sun came out so that it heated up the car, but I could turn it on and, it, and we, we took off. The journeys, uh, there's a longer story to it because we, uh, we didn't have any money. The guy took off, he had our, he had our pay and uh, you know, we didn't have enough to, there were three toll roads we had to go through. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. But uh, yeah, so there's a guy by the name of Dave Bedini who was with the Real Statics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave wrote a book called On a Cold Road, and that's one of the stories that uh, he asked me about. Uh, he's, a, he's a good buddy, and he, and he did he uh, wrote that story down. That's but that that's the road, and that's the touring, <clears throat> you know. But it's really opened, in Canada, like that's a very Canadian road story. I mean, like from where I am to where to Vancouver, I mean, like it's nearly five thousand miles, yeah. and uh, so. You know, you got to know, <laughs> you got to kind of be prepared now. You know, when you're going on the road, you got to have in your own pocket, you got to have your pocket knife. You got to have, you know, various things that you need to uh, to make sure that you can get through if you need to, you know, to innovate. Anyway, yeah. so after that, when we got to the third tour, you know, we finally were playing, con- we were playing mostly um, uh, universities and stuff. So it was a lot, lot better, you know, and we could get, only play our two hour show and then we get off the road and, Often we can go to the local clubs and hang out for a little while with the people and stuff like that. And that was a lot of fun, you know, doing meeting, meeting other, other music artists on the road and stuff. But I really, other than doing the performances and other than, uh, you know, meeting, meeting people on the road, all kinds of great, wonderful people. And, the, and especially the DJs. Uh, I mean, I had, a, I have a lot of radio uh, awards because I, you know, I went to the radio stations at six o'clock in the morning, even though I was right. di- dead after driving 500 miles to the next gig, getting in at five, you know, and, and the other guys would go to bed and I was like the roadies. I, I would go to the radio stations in, in, uh, you know, moose pelvis, whatever it is. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you know something, when you got in there, you walked in, they would say, ah, oh, he came. They were so grateful that you came. And they got a cup of coffee for you and they got anything they would do for you, whatever. And, you know, that kind of love, that kind of friendship, that kind of nicety is what made me a radio hit guy, you know, and, and I didn't do it for those reasons. I just, it was just, I'm just, I'm from the Maritimes. It's what you do. You're, you know, you're nice, try to be nice to people, you know? Yeah, and yeah. So um, anyway, the road was, uh, but I, I got, I'm a creative artist and I miss my, my, my creative spaces and I wanted to, to get to those things and um, you know, you get married, you got to want to get back to your, your person that you care for. And, you know, like probably you guys, I've written, you know, several songs about being on the road and trying to get home. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes you feel like you'll never get home, but I need your love, you know? 
Yeah, sometimes you feel like you'll never get home. That's the truth. Sometimes you're on the road for three months, you start losing the, the vision of home and, and uh, you start being where you are and you go, wow, that's, oh yeah, 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 I got to get there, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. I don't think most people don't really understand tour that like people just say like, oh, that sounds like a party, like that sounds fun and they don't understand that you're literally driving, especially in Canada, yeah, yeah, all day to get to a sound check, which might not be on time, and then might right. go way longer than you thought, and then you're barely going to have time for dinner, and then who knows what the gig's going to be like, and blah 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 blah, and then you and what you're eating too, you know, what, what you're, eating. What you're, what you're yeah. eating to get you through, you know, you eat anything, you know, yeah, and then you do the same thing the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and yeah, it's hard work. So uh, the only non-musician friend of mine that understands it, uh, he's a sports agent. And, uh, <laughs> and so he he's spent a lot of time flying down to, you know, California and Arizona and and just driving from town to town to see this high school baseball game, to see this college game. And so he completely gets it, which is, so it's interesting to talk to him. But yeah, most people just can't quite understand it. And, you know, sometimes uh, like I, I remember we used to follow a group called Foot in Cold Water. Uh, if you ever, are you familiar with their name at all? No, I haven't heard of them. But they used to be called the Staccatos, but they're big, they had big hits. And, uh, and, and they were from originally from Ottawa. But they were a rock band, you know. And, I mean, we, were, we, we played rock, pop, fusion, whatever. I, I, I tried to do whatever I, I wrote, which is probably why I never became that successful as a music artist because – it's like my painting. I paint anything I want and I don't follow any, you can't say, you know, okay, that's Ken Tobias music, so to speak. Cause I, my one minute I'm writing a piece that's kind of jazzy next is bluesy next is poppy or next is folky. I didn't, I never contended, but anyway, um, uh, what was my point? Being 75 tells you, you know, start losing your <laughs> train of thought. Uh, yeah. Um, and the bell rang at that time. Uh, <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, well, well, we were talking about people not being able to understand the road and you the, were the songwriting, the rock band. Yeah. Anyway, so they, they would go for us and we'd come to certain, play a lot of the same motels and live in, or stay in a lot of the same motels and stuff. We'd get in there after a while, after they left, the phones were all, all, uh, screwed down to a table. You couldn't move a lamp. Uh, and the TVs were like uh, really cheap because they used, these guys used to throw them out the windows and they'd break the rooms up because, you know, you get nuts on the road. Not that I agree with that stuff, but I said, we're not like that. You know, we'd go and get an umbrella and cut holes in it and hang it on the light. So that would disperse the light a certain way in the room just to get, turn the pictures upside down, just to try to get our angst out, you know, because uh, yeah. the, the music on stage wasn't enough. That was great. Oh, that was wonderful. But uh, the, the, um, you know, sometimes it's crazy. You know, like I said, it's crazy on the road. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you feel like you'll never get home. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like uh, you, go ahead. Kind of cut in. You mentioned like jazz and fusion and and that type of thing, and thinking about you know writing pop music in the seventies. And after kind of listening to uh, your record, I actually went back and revisited a lot of Larry Carlton records because I'm a huge Larry Carlton fan, and like you know, there's that era of seventies pop music writing that really like went into jazz infusion and like, and, and was mainstream. And I'm wondering, like, you know, you work with younger artists now, do you see that as something that's like maybe coming back or is that gone or that type of, 
ability for for uh, like a mainstream audience to hear a complicated song and just like connect with it? Is that something that still exists? Ironically, last night I was watching Yes, on, uh, okay, and I and I it brought me back because they were really good again. And I mean, they're great. And the, the singer was there and you could tell he was really straining up there, but he got every note and, uh, the, and their players were just right there. For me, I like any music that hits me, same as art, anything that hits me in my heart, everything, anything I like, I like it. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't put anything down. I'm not a big rap person because I don't understand. I'm not into the culture and, you know, and I understand it, but I, I do understand some of the rap and what it's about in the, in the poetry and so on. I get it. And I like some hip hop rhythms. I got a few of them in my in some of the songs I write. But to answer your question, um, for example, my "Give a Little Love" song, the chord changes are basically kind of jazz changes, and or rhythm and blues changes. And uh, if you go to my uh, street ballet album, I do a thing called um, um, writing down this song, which is really a, 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 it's a Latin jazz tune. There's a lot of that in me. I don't know where it came from, but I have that in me and I love it. I, when I'm writing songs, there's some people, for example, when you play an acoustic guitar and you go up and down, zongu, jingu, zongu, jingu. Well, that's a, it's a percussion instrument as well as a, you know, as a, as a, a resonant instrument, but it's, you can tap on it and stuff and you get, you get, it's a, it can be funky because it's a drum as well. Um, I, I so I so when I when when I when I do this I think of congas, so I became a conga player. It's the, to me it's relatively the same thing. So I I think that a lot of people today, a lot of younger people today, uh, are no different than some older people. They don't always identify with the music that's on the radio. Uh, they identify with some of them. If you're youthful, you identify with some of the beach, identify with some of the, you know, the cool, the dress, what have you. But when you, all of a sudden you show them stuff that came from the seventies or the fifties or the, or the, or they identify mostly a lot with the eighties. I'm eighties with a bad time in my life. I don't really like the eighties that much. Mm. Uh, that's kind of where, and I'm not putting it down, but that's kind of where disco came in and the club scene changed uh, club owners could say, okay, I can get, bring a, a DJ in and, uh, and play disco music and people still come to the club. And so they never hired bands. So we used to, not me, but a lot of people, you heard the term disco sucks. Well, I didn't think all disco sucked at all. A lot of it. I loved a lot of the rhythms. I liked Donna Summer. I like, I like, I like music. I like, I'm a person who was, used to be a drummer at one time. I love rhythms and stuff and especially Latin American. Um, so I don't know. I think that today, Personally, it, it seems to me that people are looking for all kinds of music. Um, Spotify, you go there and you can get anything you want on Spotify, you know, pretty much now. Um, and and um, I, go, I go there and listen to everything, you know, and I, I, maybe it's just me and maybe it's my viewpoint. But everybody in my uh, relatives who are younger people, they like my music and they like music like my music. Uh, you know, they like, they still like James Taylor. And um, although James Taylor mostly is, you know, he's, he's an acoustical guy, but if you listen to his music, there's, there's funk, there's a bit of, there's a bit of a rhythm of blues or stuff in his stuff, but it's James Taylor. He doesn't jump right out of it. 
Whereas me, I'll go right out of it and, and do a Latin American song and have the guys come in who the, the real guys to play the, the mm-hmm. you know, I did a piece uh, with Dante Young. He was a Peruvian conga, uh, percussion player and a guy by the name of Mimo Acevedo who did all the congas and, the, and, uh, and all the rhythm instruments. And we didn't like overdub them. We just set the whole thing up wow. and we put stereo microphones up and we just, we did, did it and played it live. And I remember once uh, being at the, in the studio, we had, everybody was glassed in, but I could see everybody really close. And I, and during the, during a break where there was like a lead solo, I kind of stopped and looked and everybody was going, everybody was like in motion. It was just so fantastic to see it. Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm gone off probably off the topic, but uh, in your question was, do you think that, that the music is still is coming back or what have you? Yeah, I do. I mean, you can only, you know, the, even the, even the, 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 the hip hop thing, which is the kind of music of now, which like rock and roll used to be, even the hip hop thing. And when I see all those people in those, when I watched the Grammys the other day, I mean, I actually, I got, I felt sad about it because I went, wait a minute, this is, where's, where's the people sitting and playing instruments and, uh, and so on and so forth. It was basically a lot of dancing, a lot of show, a lot of you know, long nails and, and, um, and, uh, and, and hairspray. I, I and it didn't, um, even though they're all very talented and they're expressive, it didn't, it wasn't for me. I didn't, I didn't see anything for me. I didn't see any classical music because the Grammys are supposed to cover all of genres. I didn't see any of it. And I didn't see any, you know, really anybody really sitting down playing guitar and, uh, and together and, and uh, singing this or that, you know, I didn't. So I, I, you know, I was a little sad about it because sooner or later that has to break. Mm-hmm. Because when I look around me in my hometown, I don't see that. I see everybody everywhere playing guitars and sitting and singing. Mm-hmm. Not that that should be the everything. And it's, not ne- and it's not necessarily just folk music. It's whatever they can, they want to play on their guitars or their instruments. But that's what I see all around me. And that's not, I don't see that represented on those big shows anymore. If you watch The Voice and if you watch uh, a lot of those shows, Everybody comes in and they're and it, basically what they're trying to do is oversing, you know, to get the acrobatics going. And they, they mean well, they really try. They're trying to do the vocal apparatus and stuff because it seems to titillate a lot of the audiences. Uh, you know, they, they go for the, 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 the technique and stuff that really, really gets them out of their chair. And uh, whereas, like, for example, I, I watch you guys do that that piece and you did the vocal harmony. I mean, if you had been on the stage at the Grammys, I mean, people would have fell over. <laughs> Honestly speaking, because it's truly came from the heart. It truly worked. It was really beautiful. And uh, I mean, people go, Oh, I forgot. That's good too. You know? Yeah. And where is that? Where is that represented? So I, I I'm a little frustrated by that, uh, that part of it. But um, so I think it, I think what's really going on is, is is some is other things besides that you know that's that's there but I don't think that's really what's going on in in the small towns and the in the back rooms and the jams and stuff I mean my home I have a jam every what I don't know now because of the COVID but I used to have a jam every Wednesday night with because uh, I like playing lead guitar I mean I, I bring lead guitar players in and I have a lot of tracks that I recorded and have them set up. And I have these huge speakers in the back. I see the big red ones back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like Altex 
And I mean, you can, when you get drums talking in them, you can, and my mother is, she's 97 and probably deaf. And uh, she doesn't, she loves to hear the music is probably a thumper. She just go ahead and do it. We just turn it up. And so it's like a band, you know, strong in the room and we just, we jam. And I'll do, and then um, I'll sit and do, do some stuff with my acoustic guitar. I have a nice little uh, Ed Sheeran, uh, Ed Sheeran small guitar. Yeah. It's the best acoustic guitar I ever had in my life. I mean, I got all kinds of other ones, you know, that with names and stuff, but that thing, I can play lead on it. And it's got, when you plug it in and put a little a little reverb on it, my Jesus, sounds like the biggest in the world. And it's so great to play. So I'll do some of my tunes and they'll be playing along and stuff. And uh, and not all these guys are my age. I'm the oldest guy in the room. And and, um, and they seem to want to be do that. And some of them, you know, they, some of them play rhythm and blues and other things as well, but they seem to like what's going on. So I don't know. It's long-winded, but there it is. That's so perfect, the, the description of the jams, because I, when, I, when I was re-listening just now to I Just Want to Make Music, the song, your song. Um, you did a great job on it, guys. I love thanks, it. Thanks, man. Um, but I was wondering about the original song, because I was picturing in my head kind of something like what you're describing, just like a house full of people who just have a regular jam, and they just do this all the time, and they just play music all night. Is that, I mean was that kind of your life at the time? Was there a lot of that? That's where the song came from. I'm that was it. But you know how I wrote it? I was in California and I was sitting and it was like dusk. Sun was just going down in the Hollywood Hills. and It was pretty quiet. Yeah. And I heard this bird. And of course I got these musicians ears and yeah. all the other people in the room didn't hear. And I heard the bird go. <laughs> and I went, Hey, you hear that? I just want to make music. I just want to make music all night long. And then it unfolded. And that's exactly how it happened. And, awesome. you know, uh, by the way, you mentioned Larry Carlton. Larry Carlton played on that, eh? That's right, yeah. And and everybody asked me, so who played the steel guitar on that album? I said, there's no steel guitar. It's Larry Carlton. He's playing with a... He's playing a 335, which is his guitar. And he's playing, uh, it was a dark sunburst. And he's playing through a small little, I think, a Gibson amp. Mm. And uh, it was dry. And he played steel licks on his guitar during the whole thing. But but on Stay A While on that, he does all these these lines. I had to actually, I had an argument with with Michael Lloyd, the producer, um, who was younger than myself he was a good producer and a good guy no no putting him down or nothing he produced the Osmond brothers and he was used to like uptown stuff didn't know much about roots or he didn't seem to and uh and and i had the greatest you know the greatest uh, experience as a musician myself because playing my acoustic guitar i was the rhythm rhythm guy on that track with hal blaine joe osborne larry nectel and larry carlton and i'm playing rhythm i with them and I had to do little I had to do that guitar lead that uh that don't uh, that the one that climbs up on the acoustic guitar and yeah. climbs mm-hmm. down and he mm-hmm. did the, the lead part in between yeah and um uh but anyway we're doing stay while and Larry had been playing all these gorgeous harmonics underneath the track and playing these steel licks and the way the arrangement was is that he uh, Michael Lloyd had put like there were like two flute solos and there was an oboe solo and I, and it was just a lo- too, little too lush. And I said, wait a minute, you know? So I went in and I talked to him. I said, man, you know, you, you know, 
this is my music. And like, you're like turning it into like this big lush thing. Not that I don't mind some of it. I really like well done stuff like that. But, and he got mad and he walked out the door. He says, you tell the engineer what to do. And I mean, there's the engineers, they wore suits. Okay. (laughs) I don't even, the board was a spectrosonic board. Nothing like I know now. And uh, the engineer just looked up and he says, what do you want to do? I went, oh God, but I get myself into, I said, well, here's what I want to do. We started off the song with acoustic and, uh, and the bass bass. And I said, bring the strings in on the second verse. It'll lift the song up. I said, and take down the, the last flute solo and bring Larry Carlton's guitar up. He's doing this great solo underneath the track with all these harmonics and it started to get the rootsy thing started to happen a little bit where it was supposed to. And I looked, and as, as it happened, I mean, I just got this rush and so did the engineer and I looked behind me and, and, um, and uh, Michael Lloyd was said, wow, that sounds good. That sounds good. And I said, do you hear what Larry's playing? And he would, yeah. I said, so we, so we, Larry did the solo where there was no solo and he brought it up. And, and so we kind of left it there. And so there's these like, and those are like the steel sounds mm-hmm. you know he was doing those through the through the track not that i'm a country artist I, I have some influences but it was right for the song and um so stay while my version of it turned out to be strong and and uh, and, and uh, happy so michael lloyd kind of listened to me after that and we kind of talked a bit more about the, what was going down <laughs> No and more that, oboe solos. Yeah, no more. Yeah, come on, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, these guys are trying to make hits. And he's, you know, he's he's a very, very smart guy. And uh, but a lot younger and very, uh, very Hollywood, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. at the time. And, uh, and then after that, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Kerb, who ran MGM Records, he got a hold of me and said, I, I like that, that song you have called Now I'm in Love. He said, I want you and you and Michael Lloyd to produce it. So he gave me a production credit and we went into the studio together and produced it. And uh, so, and Michael was very happy with it. He didn't, and that was my first production credit. The first time I ever did anything really serious like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, it just comes from the heart. It's what you hear and it's what you uh, you grow up with. I mean, I, you sit and listen to, um, I mean, I saw more than more than enough. I listened to Don Messer's show from that came from uh, uh, Prince Edward Island, um, and you listen to these guys from the old days. and know they sit down and they play. And there's a guy who plays drums, mm-hmm. and a guy who plays this, and applies that, that, and they just do it, and everybody plays their part. And then all of a sudden, somebody starts singing a tune, and it happens. And um, I'm not. A lot of these guys are used to p- putting this stuff together like a, a, ahead of time, you know, like arranging it ahead of time. For example, my dream number two, do you mind me going on? I don't mean to talk too much. No, no. Uh, my song dream number two had sort of a seven, eight feel. I didn't know. I just wrote it that way. And when um, Hal Blaine saved that song, the way it is now, he helped, he saved that tune because Michael Lloyd had an arrangement done of it. And so I went in the booth with my guitar and I, I have to play, um, Dun, 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 ba, 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 ba. I'm like, ba, da, 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 da. And then the drums come in, doom, 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 a certain thing, and it all works together. And then um, it's like if you play 16 speeds, if you go, you can cut that thing. Ba, dee, 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 that goes all, everything goes against the 16s, and it works. But if you think of it in fours or, or, or eights, it won't work. 
you can't quite get it anyway. So I start the song and the, uh, Hal Blaine counts it in and I went one way and the band went another. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, whoa, 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 whoa. And I remember him saying to me, hey kid, come on out here, come in it. And I, so I walked out and he said, I sat in the floor in the middle of these brilliant guys and he said, play it for us. And I played it on my guitar right from the top to the bottom. And he goes, oh, I get it. Okay, okay, here's what we do boys, blah, blah, blah. And I went in the booth and we did it. Cool. And that's what came out of it. And Michael Lloyd comes in and says, is there any problems? He said, no, we got it. And when it ended, and when no, Michael Lloyd didn't say a word about the change that happened. And uh, if it wasn't for uh, Hal Blaine, that song would never have been like, came out of my heart, you know, yeah. which was really important. You know, it's a spiritual thing to me. Hey, did you ever cross paths with Lenny Bro? I did. We were actually friends. Really? Uh, and uh, the saddest part of all is, um, one day I came out of the subway in Toronto. It was a cold fall day and, uh, I came out of the subway and I was dressed pretty warm. And as I came up the stairs, Lenny was standing beside me on this side of the subway door with just a sport jacket on his hair was really long at the time. And he had a lot of, a lot of growth in his face and he was standing and doing this back and forth. Like he was really cold. And I said, Lenny, what the hell are you doing here? He said, oh, hey, Ken, how you doing, man? How you doing? I listen, hey, can you lend me five bucks? Can you lend me five bucks? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, sure. And I, I guess I only had a 10 that I gave it to him, and he was gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, because, and I'm not saying bad about anybody. I, he was just, oh, my God, could he play? Mm -hmm. And every anywhere he went, anywhere he went, like he, he was not necessarily in the conversation. He was over in the corner playing. He was always playing. He was always in heaven. I always liken him to like an angel that came to the earth and he wasn't of the earth. And if he took one thing from the earth, it would, it would spoil him. And, you know, and, and, and that's what happened. He, you know, he, you know, he couldn't smoke a joint. He couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't take prescription drugs or anything because it would just spoil him. It would just, all of a sudden he, he was not of the earth. He would be, it would like be something that clamped a hold of him and held him down, you know? And um, I had friends who said, you know, you have to, they had to, to close their, uh, their medicine cabinets when he came over, you know, because, you know, yeah. So that's not, I'm not saying bad about him. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that's part of what happened to him. But I remember seeing him on, uh, there used to be music hops all the way across Canada. There was one in Halifax, one in Montreal, one in um, Toronto, one in Winnipeg, and one in Vancouver. And that's where, like, Vancouver, Susan, Susan Jacks, Susan Peskovich, Poppy Family, and um, the Collectors, and God, so many other great artists came from out of that 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 pool. They were all young, like we, we were. I was, you know, we were all 20 and 19 and 20 years old. And so in Winnipeg, it was, it was a show, and Lenny Bro was playing guitar on it. That's kind of before the Guess Who, I think. And so, and he, uh, he's, because he's, Lenny's originally from Maine, I believe, and his father, he was in a country group with his father and his mother, and he balked against it, and he wanted to do something else. His father got real mad at him, and he left, and I don't know if they ever reconciled or not. But, um, you know, the talent is beyond talent. This guy, I saw the, the documentary that his daughter did on him, and it was... Uh, Brought, and he played the riverboat. I played the riverboat in Toronto, which was right. a, a shrine, you know. And yeah. and um, I went to see him. So, anyway, to answer your questions, yes, I did. What, yeah. what are you going to say about him? 
Well, I, I had never heard of him until a year ago, and my brother got me a biography of him, which I read, and I, so of course, as I was reading, I was watching all the videos I could find and listening, and I just could not believe I had not heard of this musician. He was yeah. absolutely unreal. So, and I figured since you guys were, you know, I figured you'd probably cross paths, but I was just interested. Um, well, you know, Pat Metheny, Pat Metheny, kind of you know, like the great guitar player. He mm-hmm. he he kind of summarized it and say, well, you know, he said a guy like him comes back, comes around every, as did as did um, Chet Atkins. A guy like him comes along in a hundred years, mm-hmm. and uh, he's so perhaps ahead of himself, or he is so what he is that no one can copy him. And it, not that, like you know, Pat Metheny's a great guitar player, and so is all the guys who played with him. But he was so unique in the way that he approached his guitar. And uh, not only that, but he was, he was on another level spiritually. I mean, he just was. He was just, he was getting it straight from the source. And, and uh, you, you could see his, his eyebrows would go up and he'd be, and, and he reached a point and he'd play a few notes. You could tell that it was just stimulated, going through his body like, oh, God, I wish that would happen to me sometimes, you know, <laughs> just to play that note. Every once in a while, you get a chance to get a little of it, you know, but he was getting it all the time. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, if you ever, have you seen the documentary that his daughter did on him? No, I'm, I'm interested to hear about that. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. That's, that's the true, that's the true one. And, uh, it, it ends up, ends up with him, his death in California. Yeah. They find him in a swimming pool. I mean, you think about this now, this is an angel. You find him in a swimming pool. And um, and they believe the cops believe that his wife was the one that that's what they believe, even though they know she got off. Who is it? Um, a Canadian, a famous Canadian uh, actor in Toronto used to play with him in a jazz group in Toronto at a at a at a they had a uh, they had a hole in the wall where they used to jam and people used to go down and see the jazz. Um, oh yeah, I'm trying to remember his name. But he said, and related to uh, to um, his wife, he called her a rang, and 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 as he was he was speaking in jive, and he said like a rang, uh, man is uh, is like a woman who comes to your house, or a person who comes to your house. He said a woman comes to your house and is so mad at you that she scratches all your jazz records, <laughs> you know. And so that analogy was pretty much here was this this guy who was so beautiful and living with somebody like that person and who I'm sure bullied him because I, I'm sure it would have been easy to bully him uh, because again, he was a, a gentle soul. This guy should have been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Some manager should have taken care of and just did everything they could, but I don't know. That's, that's the karma of it all. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, putting aside all the negatives, this guy, if you listen to anything he does, it's just, just wonderful. I mean, the way he plays three, three parts at one time, he could play two songs, three songs at one time, you know, <laughs> and it's not just this, it's in, it's in here. It's yeah. thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing. Having that, 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 uh, that kind of mind that you can, it's like playing bass and singing. Bass and singing is difficult yeah. sometimes because you're, you're, you're doing other things, but uh, some people can really do it well. Yeah. You know? That record, Cabin Fever, when I heard that one years ago, I was like, this is, un- it's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the start of it, too, when you hear is whoever was there just like shutting the door and saying goodbye. And it's just like, it's 
you could hear him in that room and just, and the, the whole first five, six minutes are completely just warming up. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, Chet Atkins, I mean, he cried. He, he, and it's in that vid, in that uh, documentary, he cries in it. He, because he, he, he considered him his son. Mm. Yeah, he was. That's the way he treated. He couldn't. They sat down and jammed together. And I mean, like I said, Chet Atkins said he was a guitar player. Only comes like him comes back and comes around in a hundred years. Yeah. And um. And all the people that 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 they interviewed, all the guitar players and everything that he, that he did, all the, the Tal Farlows and all those famous jazz guys that played, like they were just in awe of him. Yeah. Just in awe of him because. Let's play this. Let's play that. He could play anything. He play anything you want to play, and he was just—he was there, and he played it as up tempo like you wanted or down tempo. He could do anything. It was all done like this. Never used a flat pick. Wow. Yeah, kind of a classical style of jazz mm-hmm. sort of thing. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, so I assume we probably have to wrap up soon. But I. I... Circling back to the beginning, Ken, I, I want to ask you about the, you mentioned with your space paintings, like that it's connected to your spirituality. And I was really interested in that. What, um, is well, there a, or why don't you tell me? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, I follow a, a teaching from the East kind of thing, and I've been doing it for a long time. And, um, It's like the essence of everything. I pray everybody taps, all religions, all faiths, everybody taps the source. Well, to me, it's the source. I go to the source and, this, and um, that source uh, takes in the universe, takes in all of everything. And um, so I, I call the series the Far Off World series. It's not close. I believe I get, I get them in my, my, sometimes in my dreams. Or sometimes I'll sit down in front of, after I do the canvas in this dark, painting um i use a special i have a special formula that i use to, because you can't put black on a canvas because it doesn't emit light so i use i use black as a part of it but there's there's dioxy and purple and sometimes blues in it and all of a sudden you can see into the canvas you get the feeling you can see into it and uh, I'll, I'll look into that canvas. It's like looking no different, probably in a crystal ball or something or, or meditating or something. And I, I try to tap the source and uh, I get these images. And these images are, are placement of planets hmm. or nebulas. And uh, part of the, you can put, you, anybody can go and copy, you know, uh, scientific paintings or uh, photographs of, of the, everything. But that's not what it is to me, and that's fine. What these are are impressions of uh, and placements that seem to cause a feeling. Because I sell so many of them to people who you just wouldn't think would buy a painting like that. Hmm. That's not everything I do, but that's I would say that that uh, side of my art, that, that genre of my area, I probably sold more paintings in that genre than I sold anywhere of all my other areas. And, um, they seem, they sit, uh, I sent one to California to an, to a person down there and it was a, her husband and she bought it and she puts it up on the wall and she says, I don't know why, but I sit in front of it and it moves, it moves. Hmm. Okay. That's what I get from her. Her husband, who was a very straight guy, not, into anything like that. I did another painting and he saw it 
and immediately said, I want that painting. So I sent it down. I, he bought it and purchased it. And I sent it down to him and, he, and he, he's not sharing it with his wife. He's putting it in his own space because it did something to him. He sees something in it. It makes him feel a certain way. And if you get that in your room and you're looking at it with a, you can't put direct light on it because it shines and you lose the effect. Yeah, but yeah. when you put put that in your room and you sit back in your bed and you look at it, it's as calming and it takes you somewhere. And I believe it takes you to the far off worlds. It takes you to, a, it brings you up. It's a catalyst that brings you up into a state of mind that makes you feel peaceful and um, introspective and, uh, and so on. And that's what, that's where I think it's, it makes me feel spiritual. That's, that's why I think it's the spiritual thing for me. Mm. I mean, I have, I, you know, I have these papers that I cut out in different size circles and I'll, I'll look at the black canvas and I'll put one on a little tape behind it to stick it on there. And then all of a sudden there's one on there and, and you can see depth and then I'll put another one on another one on. And I start moving them around until I, I get this feeling of this is the right composition that makes me feel right. And then after I put them on there, I'll draw circles around them. And then I paint them. And then I'll start putting in uh, stars and dust and nebulas. And, and my hand is gone. The muses take right over. I'm, just, I'm gone. I just don't. What else should I do? There's uh, a couple here. Uh, another couple over there. And, and it's like. I, my muses take me everywhere because I start doing a painting and next thing you know, it's not what I started out with. Yeah. yeah I'm going somewhere and I'm going, okay, I like this. Take me there, you know? And, yeah. and that's the, that's one thing I do like about painting. <laughs> it's just like, it's not always in your own hands. It's like, it takes you somewhere, you know, somebody's grabbed you and there's and leading you. And I, I've always believed that if you, if you reach up and you stay in touch with where it all comes from, uh, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, not religiously, yeah. um, uh, the great divine, the great, whatever, create the great creative mother, whatever that is. Cause I, I kind of believe in the mother of creation, yeah. um, helps to birth me birth something. I said to Anne Marie one time, cause Anne Marie recorded uh, a song called snowbird, which was her big hit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I wrote a song called Sunbird, and she, she recorded that too. But I said, I was talking to her on the phone about two weeks ago, and I said, you know something, Ann? When I reached up to the place where they have all the songs, I said, I grabbed the wrong one. (laughs) 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 I brought down some birds. I should have brought down Snowbird, uh, which actually, believe it or not, was offered to me first by G. McClellan. Really? uh, Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because we were in uh, uh, Jim McKenna, who's from Sing Along Jew. We were at his house hanging out, and got a call from Gene and Gene says, Hey, I wrote this song. I want to come over and play it for you. Uh, Cause he was on, on his way over to Anne's to play it for her. So he dropped in and he played it for us. And I love this guy, God rest his soul. And uh, he played it for us and he offered, he says, Hey, Ken, you want to record this? I said, nah, man, I do my own stuff. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then he took off and went over to Anne's and, and uh, that's how that happened. It's, uh, oh, that's funny. Ironic. Oh. <laughs> But anyway, that's uh, that's kind of how I look at painting. And then, don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, I'm not overly uh, I'm not like a fanatic or overly into that. I just follow my own path, and the path is working for me. And I I believe it's reciprocal. You know, if you uh, what you put out, you get back. And uh, uh, and if you seek something, it's like you know you can sit down with your pencil by your and your guitar, and you got your pad out, and nothing's coming. And if you don't 
discipline yourself to say, okay, I'm going to do a half an hour today and nothing's happening. Okay, fine. I'll come back and do another half an hour tomorrow. I might get three lines yeah. and then, and, and so on and so on. Eventually the door opens and it starts to happen, yeah. but you got to put something into it to get anything out of it. I believe, although, and then when you're in that space, which is one of my teachers said to me, listen, if you're playing music and you get tired after you've done music, don't go and sit down and rest. Go over to your other discipline. Go right to your art, because mm. it change. You, the doors are open, mm. and it, it rests you. You get rest from changing the discipline, as they say. A, a changes as it goes to rest. Mm-hmm. I never used to think about that before, but it does actually work. Mm. So uh, I'll I'll go right on to my other place because the doors are open. Yeah. Mm. If I may say, when it came down to, I, I just want to make or every bit of love. Dream number two. I was in, this is, uh, I won't get on and keep going on here, but in dream number two, I was in Montreal and uh, I had just come back from Hollywood and was waiting for contracts to go back down to, to, to be signed with another company. So I was hanging out and I had this beautiful, gosh, gorgeous uh, 60s looking woman with me, long blonde, like a Joni Mitchell, long blonde hair, beautiful white outfit, big bell bottoms and looking so smart and cool. And I was like with my bells and my shit on and I was, we were just about to go out to catch a band. And she said, uh, I got to, I have to go to the restroom. So she went off to the restroom and I was sitting down, I had a pad and I was drawing on it. I was drawing these wings and she came in and she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm drawing a picture of her wings because I want to fly. And then I told her, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And I sat there and wrote two thirds of the song. (laughs) Believe me, that's like, it was an important tune, I think, spiritually to get out to people and uh, for me. And uh, because there's there's so many stories behind it. We, We don't have enough time, but there's so many stories behind that song. You will not believe that, that if, that have changed my life practically, you know, because mm-hmm. of the stories that come from, especially from a guy from Vancouver. Um, do we have time to tell this story? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I do. If, if you're good, I'm, I'm good. Oh, of course. Yeah. I just close, I, I'll close <laughs> off of it because it's so, so, so important. This, this guy was a lighthouse keeper out in, in British Columbia. He had been a lighthouse keeper for like 30 years and he got, a copy of my song dream number two and he played it in the lighthouse for 20 years every day every day and he wore it out and uh his wife i, I was at my, my house or my studio in toronto and i got an email and this woman just sent out the email just sent it out to all over the place put it up on the internet it, it, for me to get in touch with her so i got in touch with her and I, I sent her, I, yeah, I sent her a, a phone number and she called me. And I remember hearing myself say, like some other guy was inside me. And I said, hi, my name is Ken Tobias. How can I help you? That's, it was strange. I did just something took over. And she told me the story of her husband, uh, that he had cancer and he was dying. And uh, he didn't have the song anymore. And uh, <laughs> I said, what? God, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the whole damn album. It'll be out there in no time. So uh, I sent it out to her. And then she sent me a letter. And by the way, this hit the airwaves and went all through the press and all across Canada. It was in the, on the radio stations and everything about what was going on. And she sent me this letter. And she said, 
Ken, I, I got in touch with Ken Tobias and because uh, my, my, my husband was blah, blah, blah. He was on his deathbed and um, he didn't have a copy of the song. So I got in touch with Ken. Ken was good enough to, to say, send me out the record. So I sent her a CD. We received the CD. I'm reading it now like this. And we received the CD and uh, my husband was so grateful. He put it on, he played it through twice and then he died. Wow. Well, I'm holding the paper and I just burst into tears. I just, oh my God. You know, to be a part of something like that, to be a part of something that, that can help a person move on, that something that soothes their soul, that makes them identify, that helps them to pass through into the other space, and, and, and I didn't even know I was being a part of it. I was just being pushed into this situation. I was being a part of it. And I, to be, to this day, I mean, I'm so, so grateful to have been able to participate in something of that, that sorts, That's that amazing. sort, you know, to be able to, and I have no, even though I get teary eyed a little bit, but it's not because of the sadness. It's because of the joy that I felt uh, and that this guy's okay. He's all right. You know, He's going to be, he's all right. He's probably reincarnated by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. It's, it tells you what songs can do, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Music's pretty unique. In the so what, what are you guys doing next? I mean, uh, uh, is this World War II thing, uh, is that project finished now or? It's, um, it, it's morphing now. So we, we made a, filmed theatrical version of it and we put the album out but now uh now my bandmate brendan who who kind of like wrote the theatrical show uh he's working with ballet bc to kind of reimagine the show so i think the future wow. will still be involved musically um and then i'm not, i don't actually don't know what this is going to look like but it's <laughs> but i'm on board for sure um yeah, so so there's that, and then and we all kind of do different things. Like the fugitives, it's it's not full time for any of us. Like um, like I do solo music as well, and I'm I'm working on an indigenous theater project right now with a friend of mine who's an indigenous playwright and director. So uh, wow. I've been composing songs for that, which has been probably the greatest songwriting challenge of my life. I would say just trying to write in in other voices. Um, based on what's in the script and stuff which which has been awesome what kind of research um, do you do on, on something like that well i'm i've mainly mainly i've stayed to the text of the script um, because each of the characters has a different vibe and they each come from a different nation so i will there's a lot of info about the characters and their their specific nations in the script um so most of what i need is there but sometimes yeah sometimes i need to like I was like looking up the Chilcotin language to, to try it because I wanted to use a couple words in a song or um, yeah, if there's just like a little bit more I need to know, I'm just basically looking online. Um, but we're, because it's theater, there's more collaboration to it. Like um, uh, we, were, we were just about to have a big workshop, which unfortunately got canceled for COVID, but we were going to have a couple indigenous um, musicians and drummers as part of that workshop to to kind of work on some of the... Uh, different chants from the different nations and trying to involve those in the songs and stuff like that, um, which would have been great, but hopefully we'll get to that in the summer. Uh, oh, that sounds like incredible. 
Yeah, it's been really? yeah, yeah, really rewarding. It's been awesome. Yeah. So, have you been in theater all your life? Is that are you an actor too? Would you say? Yeah, I'm an actor as well. Um, yeah, I guess I got into it in high school. I think music's my first love, and and my that's I would say that's the closest to my heart is definitely music. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been I've been in and out of theater acting wise. I do some film and TV acting here and there. Just uh, you know, right. it's like being an artist because you do it too. You just get you get a sprinkle around, put your fingers in different pies, and and see what's lighting you up and stuff. Um, I was up for, yeah. leave it on, I was up for the lead in Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah? You know, scared to live and be that out of me. I'm <laughs> telling you, because I had I had that look because I was I'm, I'm Middle Eastern. I'm older now, but I had long hair yeah. and a half a growth. And, and I was younger and my, my skin was olive. I was in Hollywood and so on. I could sing and uh, I could do that part, but I didn't have the acting chops. I was just starting to take some acting chops acting right. down there when I was there, but I was terrified. I said, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, and then of course, when they chose buddy, I said, Oh, thank God. And then when I saw it, I said, Oh, <laughs> I would have been doubted. I don't know <laughs> if I could have done that, but, uh, was, was that the one that the deep purple guy ended up doing? Or no, yeah, he, what's his name? Um, uh, and Ted Neely. Ted Neely. Yeah. Or he, Neely did, yeah. he did Judas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's wild. He, he played yeah. Jesus actually. Oh, did he? I thought he was Judas. Okay, he played Jesus, and you know he did a pretty, he did a great job. I mean, these in those days, I I just for me it was great. I mean, but uh, the acting thing always I always in Hollywood I always hung around with actors mm-hmm. for some reason or other. I when we lived at this this big old adobe house up in the hill, uh, there were a lot of people. We all had our own little hole in the wall, and there were a lot of up and comers in there, up and comer actors and musicians and so on and so forth, as I was, and. Um, We'd all get together and they always wanted to play guitar. They always wanted to, to sing. They always wanted to learn to do this. And some of them had two left feet when it came to it, but some others, you know, adapted fairly quickly to what was happening. And uh, it was, and I was kind of in a good place because they really did look up to you if you could play and sing, yeah. you know, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, when you think of, uh, what's her name? One of the, the biggest actresses in the world uh, from, uh, uh, Meryl Streep, for example, mm. she can sing, but she always wants to do musicals. She's just can't wait to get her chops out, you know, to sing stuff. You know, she did yeah. Mamma Mia, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I've never done theater. But, uh, I've been around it. Yeah. I actually was on stage right the first night when Hair came on stage in L.A. I was, after after the, after the, they finished, everybody was applauding. I was upstage and hanging out with them because I knew some, some of the people from Toronto from back then. And it was, I could never talked about that before actually on the stage they were they were getting all their applause it's funny anyway long story another one of those stories (laughs) (laughs) so you froze you froze for a minute there yeah we got him back yeah well guys i feel like we could probably go on all afternoon, but you've, you've covered throat singing. You've covered <laughs> to, to hair from throat singing to hair. Uh, just what else do you need? <laughs> pretty phenomenal. Yeah, we could go there. I do tune the guitar. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I want to thank you guys both for for jumping on and doing this. This has been such a treat to yeah, just fantastic stories and um, and just such a great reason to to kind of connect. It's enjoyable to talk to another musician. Uh, you know, the, the, I feel and you both are musicians, but it's just that 
you just know, you know, and you, know, you can say things that you watch it going, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a little different. Like I got another interview to do tonight. Uh, that's going to be live on, uh, uh, what's it called? Reality, Reality Radio 101 with another guy. I think he's a musician too. I know he's got this great long beard in the front, like slender beard. So I think he's another musician, but, but uh, a lot of times when I speak to people, most of them are, are, you know, radio DJs or, mm. or just people doing research or what have you. And uh, it's easy to, I hate to say this, but it's easy to kind of get into uh, to get them, uh, to get a, a rise out of them because they just haven't done that. Yeah. Whereas a musician, you know, they, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been, kind of, you know, it's kind of satisfying in a way to be, to, to know somebody understands, you know? Yeah. It's our own language. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it was awesome talking to you, Ken. Really, really nice meeting you. You too, man. Really and I wish you the very best. I just want to say, I just want to make music. I didn't know what to expect because it's not something that many people would cover, but you did it in, you did it in a, in a, in a shuffle, which yeah. is, I didn't expect to shuffle, but man, it, it really worked. Did it ever work? It's, it's so joyful. Yeah. It just it really worked. And then when you guys, when you did, uh, I just want to make music all night long. You didn't go on. You went on. Yeah, more of like a full voice thing. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really cool. And very good how you, how you handled it. Yeah. Oh, so thanks, man. I yeah, enjoyed I think... it. Like anybody else, you know, I'm, I've had people do my stuff and I go, okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but that was that was just wonderful to hear it being done. You took you made it your own, in other words, and, and you never lost the spirit of it, you know. So, uh, thanks. Yeah, well, I think that the spirit of that's what we were trying to to get is because there was a spirit of joy to that song, right? And, and you uh, said you didn't use Mitchell and Vicky, you used your own people. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Catfish and Allie, our banjo player Chris, when he tries to grow a mustache, it kind of just turns into whiskers. Oh, so yeah, his nickname's Catfish, so yeah, yeah. So we took Catfish and Allie, but uh. But yeah, oh, I, used, I, I used to write in Richard Nixon and I used to put all these various things. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make music. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But no, it was, that was really fun covering that. So what's the story on that record? I mean, uh, what label is it on? Is it on the light? Light organ. Light, and light organ. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, Going to come out, we're recording this for, for the listeners, we're recording this in, in April, but the record's going to come out in September. And um, the whole album is light organ acts covering these Canadian hits from the 70s. Um, so there's like a, a last week, uh, James Younger, one of our artists, was talking to Larry Evoy, who is uh, Edward Bear. So yeah, he, he did la uh, last song and um, had Andy Kim on as well and, i know this um, guy yeah. yeah it's just mm -hmm. been such a such a treat to like kind of like because there's certain things about being canadian and i mean your touring story sums up perfectly but there's mm -hmm. certain things about making music in canada that you really only canadians are going to understand it has yeah. to do with the the geography and the you know the there's just a lot of things that, that you don't have to deal with if you're coming out of the uk or the states or, or germany or whatever and we just kind of so it's really fun to kind of hear these stories from people that were doing it in the seventies to people that are doing it now and these sort of common threads and, and yeah, the record's a lot, a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun to work on this one. I think there's, I think there's, you mentioned, you mentioned truly Canadian. I remember uh, there was a, uh, there was a, a person who I think her name was Frances Preston and she was with uh, CKL, CKL, CK, 
W or something, right? It was right on the Windsor American border. Mm. And she was, uh, and, and that, there was a crossover there. You could, that's where a lot of this, the hits were crossed over. So a lot of the managers, publishers were down and they'd, they'd uh, wine and dine her, mm. get, get playlisted on it, right? And uh, eventually, she came up to Canada to, I think it was a SOCAN uh, uh, thing, presentation where she was a guest and she spoke. And she spoke and did said some stuff. Well, don't forget now when you're coming down, when you you have to to um, write your tunes that for the American market. And my brother tore a piece off of her. He said, what are you talking about? We have North Country music, not country music, but North Country music. This is our music. Why should, and we got Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, not the time, Selendion, blah, 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 all these people were having, uh, having hits in America. We had the whole charts covered. What are you talking about? Why should we change our music? You want our music. That's why <laughs> you have them in the States. You want our music. And so why should we change for you? Why do you want us to do such a thing? And because um, my brother was, he was on the board of SOCAN at one time. He was on the board of CMRRA and all the various organizations. He's a, he's a media strategist. He's been in it for a long time. And uh, I thought, I thought Tony, and he's also been an activist. So he's like, you're right up front. He'll, he'll tell you what's the truth. And he was totally right. You know, I mean, we have a special music in our country and it's ours. And it comes from our, you know, our trials and tribulations and our, our joys. And it's, uh, it's totally unique. Yeah. And not to say that American music, they got their uniqueness. This isn't so and so forth, but don't try to make us yours, which is what, they used to do, you know, when uh, you go down there, if it wasn't, if you wanted to get something on the charts, it had to have a certain style. If you go to Nashville, you got to write a certain way. And, and uh, I, I, I don't approve of that. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit even shy of writing with other people because uh, you, you have to, if you're going to write something for some, uh, for some specific goal, you know, it's a, it's a play or it's a something or this way. I understand there's certain rules you follow and you, and you try to craft something for that particular scenario. But uh, I find it difficult to, to write with someone else because I'm just not them and I just can't come up with, sometimes I just can't come up with certain things. If I write with a younger person, which I do sometimes, I become the song doctor. I have so much experience as with, the, I used to write for the Canadian Songwriters Association. I used to do their adjudications. Oh man, talk about, experience from stuff like that it helps you so much in being able to look at songs and um and uh, they're they're um to try and and, and to write uh, like somebody else anyways the song doctor i just person brings songs to me and i i just kind of say listen could we put that phrase aside for a minute it's yours and they, try this and they don't i give them a new approach and they kind of like oh i like that okay let's okay and then i get a and i'll get a a piece of the action but um it's hard for me to sit down and actually write with someone. Uh, I just, I find it, let's just write a song. What? Yes. Can't do it. Don't feel like it. It's not there. Let's, let's pick a subject. What? I don't know. Um, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, well, this is me. Yeah. No, I'm the same way, actually. Yeah. yeah. I have done it, but it's not easy. I don't find Sorry. it easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I wish you guys all the best and, uh, and I, I thank you very much for thinking about me and, uh, and thanks for recording the tune. It's, it's wonderful to have a, a tune and to see it be new, it, be, created new, like it's new. It's, it's wonderful. Great. Yeah, it was it. our pleasure. 
Yeah, really nice talking to you, man. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll cross paths somewhere down the line. Yeah, yeah, no, and God bless you. I hope you have great success in what you do. I mean, it, well, you're all you're pros, so I hear it's already professional. So it can't go, be, go anywhere but up, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Thanks, man. So what should I do? Just hit the leave button. <laughs> Yeah, just when you're ready. Thank you so much. Ken. I hate to go. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say thank you to the to the rest of your group too. I appreciate it very much. I will. Yeah, I'll pass it along for sure. Thanks, Joseph. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Bye, bye, guys. Cheers. 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 Cheers.